everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm here again with Kai, and uh, today is kind of a, a redo show for uh, a show we had actually last year with a guest. Uh, we couldn't use any of that, so it was a great show too. You guys missed it. Tons of information, the secrets to everything. Um, you know, <laughs> we really got into it that day. Uh, but Kai, go. How are you, man? Man, I've been swamped. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And I just uh, really just hooked back up all the monitors and things like that. So, um, yeah, the, basically they're getting their gears back into it. I just, uh, you know, had a stressful last. I would say now a week with uh, just the reintroductory part. You know, they're yeah. chasing people around, banging up against the cages, and mm. you know, they're they were actually apart for the last three months. So. Yeah, to keep it to keep it short and simple, it's just been refereeing monitor lizards. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> how about, how about you, man? Me? Um, well, uh, no, we. Uh, I'm just seeing your name on there. <laughs> did you type that, or did, is that just yeah. what it gave you? What, no, eight? I typed that. Oh, no, eight, eight, eight uh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my so. first Mueller reference. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm good, man. Uh, so I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Uh, we got Matt Cosman here today from Reptile Revolt for our guests. We're going to be talking some monitors, but uh, yeah, for me personally, it's been insane. I've just been so busy. I think we've tried to record this over the last couple weeks, and just um, for one thing or another, it's you know haven't been able to. Um, and then any recording for that matter i had one guy hit me up he goes are, are you guys still doing the podcast it's like yeah yeah we're still, we're still doing the podcast kids are just getting out of school it's summer yeah. you know you got birthdays and weddings and all kinds of crazy stuff and then this, we've had a heat wave i mean all over the the country there's a heat wave been going on but uh up here there's been a couple days we've had at like 105 and i just i wasn't ready for that kind of stuff. So I'm running over, shutting everything off, you know, with a fan, fanning things off by hand. <laughs> What's weird is that, um, I mean, I, I don't want to speak too soon for myself, but when you normally experience those heat waves, I get them too, right? Yeah. But, man, I've actually just been hanging out in the 80s. I mean, it's still pretty hot, but it's not like 100 degrees, you know? So I'm actually, I think that's pretty cool. And especially for the time of the year. By June and July here, I mean, last year was just smoking hot. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be melting. But now it's like I'm taking advantage of the cool weather. Right. Um, I guess I, I use that with my monitors, too. I, I, I was had a crazy run, a bunch of infertile eggs all winter, right? Like maybe uh. 20, 20 to 30 eggs easily. So um, and then, uh, you know, so I just had a feeling like maybe, maybe I should just give them a break, let the males cool down, right? Um, and I took advantage of all this chillier weather. You know, it's not like 100 degrees where it makes everything else 80, 90 degrees. Uh, I can basically turn on the AC, get things down to 70, and that's pretty much most of the chill that they kind of need, maybe 65. <clears throat> too. But yeah, I've just been trying to manage all the mangroves, still have like a routine going on because, man, I was just having a f- bunch of females just lay and lay and lay and nothing so you're know, trying to trying to really fit in what what i can see what help i guess you know what I mean? yeah well man we got matt we got matt back and uh it's been uh it's been a little uh 
a little difficult with, I guess, everybody's schedule. And uh, Alan's, 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 Alan's got a full plate with uh, work and oh, kids, summer. Yeah, man. I'm, yeah. I'll I'll share with you maybe afterwards, Matt. Um, yeah, the, the, what Kai's kind of referring to just insane stuff. Uh, my 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 regular job. Um, but yeah, it's been a little crazy. But what about you over there, Matt? You're talking about you know <clears throat> weddings it's, uh, and it's it's been a circus, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. So I mean, I'm retired. I retired from the Coast Guard a few years ago after 20 years of that. So most of my time's devoted towards you know, the animals and then, you know, family life. So I'm yeah, a chauffeur man. for little kids and, you know, stuff like that. So I get tapped for a lot of the domestic responsibilities. Absolutely. I've been doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, man. So, but, you know, school's out. Things are about to get a little easier and, uh, well, easier domestically. But, you know, at the same time, this is when all the monitors are paired up. They're dropping eggs nonstop. You know, temperatures are going up. So I'm constantly battling to keep temperatures in the reptile rooms you know, right where mm-hmm. they need to be. So how do you, how do you do that? Like uh, I, I, I use the AC and I, you know, uh, don't really have too many lamps on in the daytime. Yeah. So, you know, only something's well, on. It's a little easier for me because I live in Maine. So it's a temperate climate. It's not very hot. You know, I've lived in uh, Huntington beach before, you know, California and, you know, so, yeah. so I, I've battled the, the high temps and stuff and it's, it's hard to deal with, but here it's not so bad outside, but, it does get a little warmer, obviously, you know, in the summer. So you do combat it. What I do is I use uh, two different types of bulbs, two different wattage bulbs. I always use the Philips EcoVantage uh, floodlights. I, I mm-hmm. every time I go to Home Depot, I literally buy as many as I can at the moment, you know. And they're not cheap. It's like you know, they're like eh, like thirteen, fifteen bucks for two bulbs, which isn't bad. But you know, you're going there for you know paper towels yeah you don't want to yeah you don't want to spend a thousand dollars on balls but i get i get a few before they stop selling them but i use (laughs) the the 75 watt equivalent when it's not too you know when when it's not too hot out and i I use two of those so i have both of them screwed in radiating heat in the enclosures and then as it gets a little warmer i just gently unscrew one of them so it's only one and if it gets to be you know a little hotter i swap that out and i put in the 39 watt bulb and so it, it, I say that that works for me, but what I always re- remind, remind people is that works for me here in my enclosures, in my climate, in this room, in this house, yeah, in this, yeah. in this, you know, this atmosphere, this state and everything. So it's going to be different everywhere. But for me, that's, that seems to work pretty well. It's a little more labor intensive. You know, I don't like dimmers, you know, yeah. I don't like yeah, dimmers yeah. because then, you know, I'm maintaining ambient air temp, not a basking surface temp. So it's it's a little more labor intense as far as like constantly going down and checking them, but you know it gets me the results that I want, and I may keep it simple. If it's working for me, I don't want to mess with it, you know. Right. So I don't I don't mind checking. I mean, you can see in the background a small portion of the enclosure, so it's it's not that big of a lift. But you just walk by, you know, once a day, check it out. Yeah. I do something very similar. I have like a. Uh, a 50 and 75 watt equivalent floodlight that I use and then um, end up going down to the 39s and even the, the, the soft white floodlights like the BR 30s and BR 40s from like um, Duramax, you know, the Phillips bulbs. Um, I end up using some of those sometimes too, but uh, yeah, they don't, you know, the animals got to be so close to that bulb. So yeah. I end up going back and forth to the Phillips, I'm sorry, to the floodlights. And, yeah. and uh, I feel like, you know, just, it just heats an area a little bit better. 
I love these bulbs, man. I've, I've tried so many different bulbs, and these things are, for me, they're fantastic. You know, yeah. You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them, and they now they're perfect, perfect oh, no, no. You can buy them on Amazon. <laughs> oh, you guys can't even get them there. No, no, I wish I had those thirty-nine watts. Would be perfect right now. <laughs> I get so, I get contraband. That's so I actually stupid. got a box today. Yeah, I just I just got a box of of freaking six bulbs that you know you end up having to pay for the bulbs the shipping which you know it's yeah it's not it's not extremely cheap anymore for that size of a box and right. then you know then you got to take care of just the the person doing the job you know you don't want to have them running around for you for nothing so right it all it all adds up you know and, you let me know i'll get you some bulbs and i'll get them i'll get them ups over to you guys <laughs> yeah, yeah. i need a, i need another 10 bulbs and i'll tell you here uh home depot so I got a friend that works at Home Depot as the manager, and mm. that bulb is actually about to be uh, taken yeah, off your shelves. So yeah. their prices are going to go from like the $13 for two bulbs down to like $3 for per bulb. So it's ba- yeah. essentially going to get cut in half. So anyone that's yeah. looking for them, be monitoring that Home Depot website and yeah. buy them all. No, that, I mean, I heard, uh, I'm going to buy like a 1,000 of them or more just to like, like, keep it going. Right. I heard that uh, people – or not, not people. I heard that they're actually going to be discontinuing floodlights for that are going to try to do the whole nation. Yeah. Right now, right now it's a handful of states, right? But yeah. um, and I thought it was ridiculous when it was just California, but uh, all these other states are following suit too. It's so and it's probably stupid. like the whole the whole like go green thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Try you know, it, there's got to be a balance with that stuff. I mean, we all yeah. want a good environment, you know. Obviously, I think it goes without saying, but. It, it is a necessity for some some industry. You it's, know, for, some it's for us. Uh, for us, like, for sure. I mean, what other what other bulb will we really have? You know. You know, yeah. I really I really don't know, and that's why I stockpile them. Quite frankly, I mean, if I were going to put a number on it, I've probably got close to a thousand of them right now, and I don't see that as even being a remotely sufficient number for like if they go away. So that's why I tell folks when you see them, buy them because you just don't yeah. know. You just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with something else maybe or a different way to use other bulbs that are out there like the G9s or the G10 halogens, you know. They got the DP projectors. I mean, I've heard about those from like VivTech and oh, stuff. Man. I've never they're really used them. They're expensive they're, though. They're, so They're right. Um uh, man, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the these are they're kind of strong. Um and at at a distance I I've used them and they work pretty well, but it's the it's the it's a zoomed bulb. It's actually it's a reptile bulb. It's the turtle bulb. It's it's yeah. called the it's called the splash guard, and it's basically just a floodlight for 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 turtles. It's it's marketed that way with the box. So right. it's called splash guard or something like that. The I've problem is, used, is you're paying for a lot of marketing. Yeah, and right. all you need is yeah. a floodlight. Right, know? right. The bulb. I mean, I guess it's not so bad. I think I can buy the bulbs at shows because what it is is because they're marketed for turtles. People just disregard that bulb, right? Yeah. And I've actually seen those bulbs go for super cheap, like the seventy-five watt. I think I got for nine ninety-nine, which is comparable to what I'm paying yeah, now. It's, per bulb. it's not it's, bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. So yeah. for out, people out there that are you know going to be in the flood floodlight scare or something like that down the road, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. This we're going to be looking at baby formula scare. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be the nation for. You're going to see me at the uh, Anaheim show with a bunch of white boxes that I bought off of, uh, what is that, Alibaba, you know, by the pallet full. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're cleaning up. Selling them in the parking lot. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. So now with uh, with your your uh, your setup and overheating, you're just you're just switching bulbs, right? You're not having to struggle too much with like it's not you know, too big of a battle. And, yeah, for me, yeah. it's not too big of a battle. Um, my basement is where my rooms are, so it's okay. a little easier to make, maintain, you know, maintain solid temps. Um, yeah. It's got, it's a heated basement, so in the wintertime, it's very easy. Um, yeah. In the summertime, it, it doesn't get that hot. It probably goes up eh, probably 15 degrees from the wintertime. Yeah, um, nice. It's manageable. It's very, very manageable. So, okay, that's not bad at all, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it could be a lot worse. If I ever get to build a reptile room at the house we're at right now, because um, everything's kind of offsite right now, but if I ever get to use some of the, the space in the backyard, uh, we're kind of on a slope for um, – it goes downhill. So we get a lot of – anything grows in our yard, which is awesome. We're pretty close to the river. gets all the nutrients kind of in there. And, uh, I mean, you can don't accidentally throw some seeds outside because you'll have a, a tree next year, you know. Yeah, and right. um, but on the back side of the property, um, where it continues down, I'd love to cut out a section and basically make a portion of it almost, um, you know, subterranean kind like of built into those, the hillside. Yeah, those, yeah, yeah, geothermal type of whatever. I don't know. Smarter people know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Cut into the hillside and use some of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just to buffer that. Um, and then I was thinking. If I were able to do it the right way, I could actually put outdoor cages on top of the the um, the building itself. If I do it mm-hmm. right, or um, right off the the other side of it that isn't close to basically like a back wall of dirt, and build the outdoor cages on that side. I got it in my head. You know, it's got solar panels and a solar battery, and it, it works perfectly up here. But you know, we'll see yeah. if I ever get there. <laughs> Putting it in the actions when it gets fun. Yeah, I, it's amazing how, how how building an enclosure can just destroy your psyche for a moment. I I built all my own <laughs> enclosures, and just this yeah. last week, this room was a complete disaster area because I was building yeah. I was building four new enclosures, and I built the stand first out of four by four posts. And mm-hmm. it's very simple. You know, we're not talking rocket science, you know, rocket science here. I, I get it. I build it. I flip it to like have it, you know, it's on casters and it's like rocking. Like it's not leveled. I'm like, what the hell? I must have <laughs> I disassembled this thing a thousand one times, put it back together. And I realized the goddamn floor wasn't level in that spot. Oh, <laughs> no. Son of a bitch. So, <laughs> so I put shims under it to make it level. Yeah, this is the floor. Stacking under. napkins. Yeah, I'm like, my, it's like a wobbly table at the restaurant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it turns out it's just a dip in the cement in the floor, and I'm like, my uh, I, I, yeah. I probably put two hours into taking this thing down and putting it back together because it's got to yeah. be, you know? Oh, yeah, I get yeah. that way, too. When two cages don't line up, there's, you know, oh, at the most an eighth of an inch off. I'm <laughs> like, why aren't you straight? You know? Yeah, you just, it's maddening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my lady, uh, she she says, uh, when like, the house isn't really going to be clean until I'm actually done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, there's just stuff e- everywhere, you know. And then I have, because the way most of the cages are, um, I have them stacked on top of each other. So if I want to work on one of the bottom cages, oh, and I got to take off the the, the yeah. upper cages, it's got to sit somewhere else. And then, yeah, you know, I, luckily I don't have to do that too often. I you know really made a decision on what what's at the bottom, so it doesn't really move. But mm-hmm. yeah, I used to do that a lot, and I I got away from it because of that very thing. It was always 
you know, for one person trying to do it, like it's not always easy to enlist help. And I doubt your wife wants to be carrying this shit around and heaving cages off. (laughs) I know, but it's a tough sell. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But so I've only got four, four cages that are stacked. The rest of them are all standalones on stands just for that reason. So I get, I have less, but it's easier to manage, man. You know, and for me at this point in my life, it's just, I'll take easy over quantity. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think that's where a lot of people are doing now. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, so many people are just maybe focusing on a certain species or just just narrowing it down to ha- from having so much. I, me and Alan were literally having this conversation the other day. Yeah. And uh, me and Mike also had this conversation too where, you know, damn, these, these we're like a slave to all these animals, you know? And um, yeah. with – with the normal life too, like that, like although you know we love our reptiles, but you know that that normal stuff with the the lady oh. and the family, the kids, all that is really important too. So yeah, you uh, gotta really gotta you gotta weigh and measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've thinned yeah. down tremendously in the past like two years. You know, yeah. I think some so, people would look at what I got and be like, "Oh my god, you're like a hoarder of you right. know reptiles." <laughs> but for me, twenty. I mean, it's they're sizable, but twenty enclosures is sufficient you know i've had double that before and it's like yeah you know and that's when i was i was missing clutches you know i would be like yeah i'd I'd be like oh like i'm i'm gonna dig up this nest next nest box on a whim and i'd find eggs that are like desiccated from super worms eating through them or something like god dog like you know that's not what you want to find you put in all this time effort and money into feeding them up and prepping them and you get eggs that just rot in a box. And occasionally I've had eggs hatch. I see babies running around. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I need to get my shit together. Like, yeah. you know, I, I've had black tree monitors, you know, pop up in cages before little babies and picking monitors. Yeah. And I'm like, like, well, the thing is, is like, it's neat and everything, but most of them get eaten, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like a rogue baby here and there. And I'm like, geez, I like just last winter, I think I lost, um, I think it was four black tree at, black tree babies, but I found one of them, one of them, they had all hatched. So I found the eggs hatched, like, you know, slid open and everything. And I found one baby in the enclosure with the adults. And I was like, well, I mean, one beats none from, you know, from that, you know, that would have been nice to have all of them, you know, would have been there. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's tough. I I, I myself have just, uh, just told myself there's all these things. I just made a giant list of what I have to do. You you know, I can't do that. All of them are paired now, and so it's like, all right, the next thing is, um, you know, gradually go up in temps and then start feeding a certain way. But man, the major hard work would be to revamp all the nesting options. Oh, just to, you know, add, add water, turn it. Times, yeah, times, I've times got a, I've got a routine on that one. I keep it pretty. So all my nest boxes are literally exactly the same, with the exception of the pygmy rock monitors, but. You know, they're like eight inches long. I'm not going to give them a big-ass yeah. nest box. But yeah. aside from them, everybody gets the same nest box. And what I do is every single month I investigate every box. And yeah. that means I take my Home Depot Home Depot bucket, set it on the ladder next to me, and I empty it out. And yeah. I'm checking it. And it's because I'm only human, man. I got other things going on. And, you know, some monitors are more secretive than others. But yeah, the, yeah. The, the real reason is, is it, it forces me to check the nest box because I've let them dry out a little bit too much. You yeah, know yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, okay, it's the first of the month. Let's get in here. Let's just crack the top. Let's see what we're working with. And yeah. getting it on a schedule is, for me, is so much easier than just trying to remember to get to it. 
Right. Because right. I'll ne- I never will. Right. So I'm not disciplined enough. I do kind of the same thing, but what I've done is I have um, basically standby nest boxes. So when I take one out, I can throw one right back in oh, that yeah. I know there's no eggs in and leave them alone. Now I got this one out. So at the same time, I can turn the soil. The nest boxes in use have a hole cut in those tops. The ones that are on standby, you know, I, I make to kind of where I want them yeah. and um, not overly wet. And I just put the, the top back on. Because yeah. usually I'm, I'm doing that process before I'm going to see any kind of like problems from airflow or anything like that. Um, so, yeah. And then that's what's helped me out in the past. Now I've fallen behind even doing it that way, which, you know, but um, or had to add some water or whatnot. But, yeah, it's, it's constant. It is oh, absolutely constant. Monthly, it, basically monthly. At yeah. Least, really I'll get one that. where I'll see like just a random egg somewhere sometimes. And now, especially if it's in the big walk-in cages, now it's like, stop everything I'm doing. I got to yeah. dig up this eight <laughs> by four shit. foot. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in there just cussing my head off. You know, yeah, you, there better be a clutch in here. Yeah, that's, those are the reasons why I went to nest boxes. You know, I yeah. know where the targeted lay-in is going to be. And I've, I've been there, you know, I, I had these enclosures where I had four foot by four foot nesting areas. Hey, I'm telling you right now, a 12-gallon plastic tote, digging it up for eggs is a pain in the ass. Yeah, four yeah. feet by four feet by two, two three feet deep of that's soil and mulch, that's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It only took me yeah. a couple of years of being uh, of dealing with that to being like, you know what? This shit's for the birds. You know? Yeah. I, I like to know exactly where they're going to be. And most, I, of the, most of the time, they lay in the nest bins. But, man, I got some really picky females that they just yeah. take forever. You know, they dig it out. They just... And then they just lay there. So then, when I added the whole in-floor caging nesting thing, it just it just made, made it easier for them. Yeah, they they just found it a lot simpler. Like within the time frame when they start really really digging into when they finish, it's a it's a whole lot faster. But I still got girls that utilize the nest bin and more normally utilize the nest bin rather than searching yeah. somewhere. Else. I think it's species dependent too. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't use a nest bin for some for a lot of species that are bigger, but for tree monitors and work monitors, it's cake, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. just simplifying life, making things easier, streamlining it, making it almost like an assembly line, you know? Because I want I, what yeah. I want is I want to be able to walk into every cage and know that I'm using the same bulbs, they're the, roughly the same dimensions, same nest box, same nest box medium, same heat source. Yeah. It's all yeah. turnkey. So when it's not working, I can, I can instantly target, you know, those things that are standard across the board. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 help, it, make, it, just, it just makes it a little easier. Yeah, you know, the math is still a little special. Everybody's a little different. I don't know what the hell is what. I don't remember what I did with the blue trees and the black trees, the tristus, you know, this, that. You know, if I keep the it tristus. Oh, Jesus, don't even get me started. I love them. You know what? They're probably one of my favorite species because for me, they're a pain in the ass. Yeah. They really, really are. I've heard so many folks talk about how easy they were and like, Oh man, I used to breed these back in the day. And I'm like, fuck you. Like these are killing me. Like I, they're so like, they're bold, but they're secretive at the same time. Like I'll open up the door and then they just look at me like, what, what do you want? Right. right. But when they're hiding, you don't see them for days. And I've only, I've seen them copulate like multiple times for like one session, like for a few days. But they've laid clutches that I never knew she was gravid. 
I had no yeah. idea. So this <laughs> last time, I'm, I'm I'm like a helicopter parent, man. I'm just hovering over, waiting to see any change. And I got to tell you, like, I think I'm going to stick with just the one pair because they are taxing on my patients. They, they are yeah. handing it to me this year. You know, um, the the past years, it's like okay, it was a clutch and a clutch and a clutch and whatnot. It, they were treating me pretty good. And this last season, and they have thrown me for loops before, but I was still getting good clutches in between there. This last season, I mean, she'll still do it. I'll go feed her, and she'll plump up over the week and look like, all right, we're on, we're doing this. Yeah. I'm like, all right, perfect. Here you know, go. I've yeah, I've seen them locked up, and then nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they, they kind of keep me honest in that way. I wish I could make, oh, you like bet. you said – an assembly line and they're the ones that come in and they're just like, nah, we, yeah, we're not. Yeah, this doesn't work for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not wrong, man. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I'm actually in the process of building them a, uh, a bigger, newer enclosure, not in this room in the, uh, the tree monitor room. Um, cause I have more space over there. This room that I'm in right now that you guys can see behind me is just dwarf monitors. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to move those over there. It's a little bit warmer in that room. Um, but I'm, I'm going to do kind of like what you do, Kai, with like the ground nesting. And it's really just because I just I just want to see, does this make a difference for these guys? Because while yeah, they yeah. use their nest box, she doesn't seem very impressed with it. You know, yeah. she, she'll root around in there. She'll dig in there. I'll see her sling some dirt. But I don't really see her really actively engaging in nesting. You know, like I've yeah, got yeah. clutches, which is fantastic. But I'm of the opinion that with dwarf monitors, if you're not getting a clutch like monthly or every few months, then you just don't have them dialed in because that's what they're designed to do, quite frankly. You know, that's how they yeah, survive yeah. in the wild, you know. So they're hard to get to stop if you once you get them going. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to, to do, man. If I could get them going, I'd be thrilled. And it's really just for me, it's personal satisfaction. I just want to know that I can that I can figure them out. And that's really why I, I have some of the species I have, is just because I enjoy getting something that is notorious for not being great breeders and yeah, keeping right, with right. it until I find out just what it likes, you know, and my hats off to people like, um, you know, Bri uh, Brian Waterloo and what he's doing up in Illinois, uh, Brian Duraka, what he did with peacock monitors and, you know, the, uh, the Quince, yeah, monitors, yeah. you know, the Molinas, you know, people that take these species that aren't terribly common, Kai, what you're doing with the mangroves and you're dialing in and you're working with them and you're getting them to reproduce. These are things that just, you know, historically aren't done widely, you know, like Ackies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can't breed Ackies, there's something wrong with you, quite frankly. You, know? <laughs> I mean, you can keep them marginally well and they'll breed for you. But for the rest of the stuff, it's fun to tinker with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. That's, I, I agree with you 100% on that. And, um, you know, I've, I'm having no luck with the dwarf Indonesian stuff. I've had a few clutches here and there. I have yet to, to hatch one. And they're perfect yeah. looking eggs. And then all of a sudden the eggs will just go south on me. And um, it's tough to figure out, you know, what yeah. what exactly I'm missing with that. And then, um, you know, it, yeah. and judging off of Aki eggs isn't good because they hatch almost in any yeah. condition. They're seems. like bulletproof, man. Yeah. And then the, the Kims this year have been um, uh, hit and miss, you know. Half of one clutch hatched. Um, none of the last clutch was a small clutch, you know. So there's a few more clutches incubating, but now I kind of, um, I don't know. I feel that that apprehension creeping in, that, that worry, just like, 
Yeah. What are they doing today? How do they look today? Almost like overanalyzing the mm-hmm. eggs and trying not to mess with them. Thank God sim containers are clear, you know, because otherwise. Yeah. We <laughs> pop in the top all the time. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's it's just, you know, trying to figure these things out because, yeah, when, when I have other species hatching or have hatched in these same conditions it's and there hasn't been an issue it's like okay what's the issue now is it yeah is it something i'm doing is it the female you know there's always modifications that can be done that they seem to you know be a little more preferred for certain species like an example that i would give would be like king gorham pygmy rock monitors they like it a little bit drier than some eggs do you know Mm -hmm. um they're not like am i i'm just and i'm just speaking with my experience um, the 50-50 ratio doesn't always work so well with pygmy rock monitor eggs, you know, but mm-hmm. Aki monitors, you can put them over straight water in a sim and they do wonderfully. Yeah. You know, same yeah. thing with my, with tree monitor eggs, quite frankly, I think they're very hardy eggs. Other people will say otherwise, but I, I would disagree. But King Gorham, uh, they've just, they're a little finicky. I've heard the same with, uh, the Kimberly rock. I've, I've not worked with them in forever, so not, yeah, the, not the enough Kimberly's- to get eggs, but. Man, it's like a balance. It's it's a hard balance for people to understand because you know they usually equate humidity with a lot of moisture, right? Yeah. But it's making the container humid, but the eggs kept dry. Yeah, you want to keep some airflow. You don't want them dripping yeah. all. You know. Right, and uh, I mean, yeah. even even just like the feel, you know, what's weird is I'd sit them on dry perlite, but underneath was slightly moist. That that was it. It wasn't like yeah. I'm not feeling sogginess within the perlite, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I found the, the Kimberly's do best at. You know, I was kind of doing them like how I was doing mangroves, right? Just over whatever, any kind of medium. But even then, that was just too much moisture or something like that yeah um, I, I have a whole baggie full of dead kimberley's man so <laughs> yeah i've seen that stuff's yeah. heartbreaking but it's i you know i chalk it up to this is a livestock business you know it's a livestock hobby you're dealing with li- living organisms that you know they, they play by their own rules sometimes so we we try our best we try to replicate you know nature's parameters as best we can but you know it's worth noting and reminding folks that this is still being pioneered. It's come a long ways since like the nineties when I first, you know, had stuff in a yeah. down aquarium with a screen yeah. top with some weights and books on top to keep them from yep. knocking the lid off. You know, and it's we're, come still a long making way. The, we're still making that work too. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's come a long way and we're, we still got a long way to go. There's a lot of, there's a lot of data that we just don't know. You know, and I, you know, things that I like seeing is, um, what's his name? Dave Kaufman or Kaufman, who's doing uh-huh. videos. Like, I mean, for me personally, I don't give a shit about Savannah monitors. They're not impressive to me other than the fact that, like, they're inter- interesting and they come from a very harsh area. But they're, they, to me, I'm not interested in those kind of monitors. But I really, really like the fact that he went out there and he made this video about the ball pythons and the Savannah monitors. And he's getting data points that quite frankly, we just don't know. We don't know what the soil content is and how dry right. the humid and the basking tent. These are things that we're guessing at, or we're reading some half-ass Wikipedia, you know, blurb written by right. God knows who. You know, so, so you know, these are the kind of things that I really like to see because those are the things that will slingshot us into better husbandry very yeah. quickly. You know, I mean, it's been a long time since we've had a major leap. And our husbandry, 
And I think videos like that, efforts like that, like people like Ari Flagel of Reptilindia mm-hmm. in Texas, him, oh, yeah. he goes over to Indonesia all, all the time, uh, getting good yeah. data points. These are the kind of things that need to keep happening. And while it's great for the conservation, of course, and it's great for zoos and replicating things, but from a from a hobby standpoint yeah. for us that are, you know, we're... It makes, it makes you think. Yeah, it makes you think, and it makes you yeah. implement. It makes you think yeah. about your own conditions and what you can do different. I mean, I yeah. know for me, for the longest time, when I first started with tree monitors, for example, I was cooking them. I had them at these super high basking spots. I was treating it like it was a big-ass water monitor. You know, yeah. I had these super hot basking spots. The cage, like you open it up and it smacks you in the face with heat. And that's not what they want. That's not what they thrive on. And if you look at the data, you know, the data from like, you know, the environment of like this specific, you know, the archipelago of Batanta where the blue trees are, that's not the environment there. So yeah. when you when you implement those sort of like things that you you learn from people like Ari or Dave, and you 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 know put them into practice in your in you know your own your own collection in your husbandry, you get better results. So I really applaud people like Dave and Ari that are going out there and putting in the work and bringing it back for you know maybe not necessarily for us as as hobby breeders and, and whatnot, but you know we we yeah, don't as as like anyone else does. As I think a, it's really valuable. Yeah. There, there's just, you know, I think when we're thinking about stuff in captivity, we've kind of been just doing it our way, you know, yeah. um, what, we're, what we're used to more so, right? But then when we see things that, you know, it's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't all add up, right? And those, those videos or those ideas from what they do in the wild, how can we implement them in captivity and things like that? That's, that's where what's kind of bridging then that next step on, you know, like, like this year we're able to have a, a, a couple hatch out croc monitors, you know, that's probably yeah, I just saw the really, really, really big news. How cool is that? Yeah. And um, that's, and I think it's happened like in rare occasions, but it's been a long time, you know, and I think, the last time before that was really just uh, Tom Crutchfield hatching parthenogenic ones, which is still a, a feat which in itself. Which is great, and I applaud right, him yeah. and Vanessa and Stacy and all them. Yeah, They've done a great job. Cool. But it, to me, while it is an accomplishment, it's not the same as an ongoing captive breeding program in which you are regularly right. getting production from. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. God right. knows we all love to see it. But I really, really – I find it really to be beneficial when someone is – cracking that boundary you know and they're like i've got them dialed in here's what i do and and i gotta say social media is one of those things where it's 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 awesome and it's terrible in the sense that it's very much a monkey see monkey do type thing if you (laughs) see someone doing something like with regards to like their husbandry efforts and they have a large following people will emulate it even if it's the worst idea in the world people they're like oh this person's got you know, 600, you know, followers or whatever the hell and people start doing it and then they're not getting the results that I know that they want, but they're too proud to admit it. But then at the same time, you see folks doing it the right way and monkey see monkey do people will replicate those. So it's an ongoing challenge where you got to do it, not just the right way, the minimal right way, but you really got to go above and beyond. And that's why I was saying, I applaud people like, like what Ari's doing at Reptile India. Like if you've not seen the facility that they're building there, that Reptile Zoo, it's amazing. It it looks, I've seen just some limited pictures, but yeah, it looks okay. absolutely amazing. I yeah. we uh, we sponsored their tree monitor exhibit 
And Ari was, Ari was kind enough to give me a video tour of, of the place. I'm telling you, I've never been to Texas for like, you know, other than business and passing through, but I'm going to Texas to check this place out because yeah. it's yeah. amazing. And people like Brian, I don't know if you guys made it up the monitor fast, but I used to live right down the street from Brian Waterloo and his enclosures with the lace and the this and the that, like these are the enclosures that like inspire people to do something bigger and better, you know, instead of just some big old box of, you know, heat that they're turning their lizard into beef jerk, you know, yeah. That, that's the kind of stuff that I like. That's the monkey see, monkey do side of it that I really like. People, you know, emulating that sort of stuff. So we just need to get more people doing it that way. I want to change some things because I, I had a certain idea. I love some of the, the cages I'm using for the dwarf stuff. They work great. But um, to get in there and add a few things, um, you know, and then get a couple other ones, um, I, I just – there's a way to simplify it. So they're functional. They look yeah. great. And, you know, um, they're actually less work than kind of some, some things I'm doing now. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I, that's something I want to achieve. I know it's there, but it, it just takes time to make that conversion over, you know, um, yeah. to do it. Once you get it dialed in, once it's set up right, it works great. But yeah, m- making that leap, Time, money, all that stuff that goes into it. Not free. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not free, and neither is your time. So it's it takes effort, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's all I think it's also worth noting that and I have this conversation with literally it seems like every single buyer of a baby monitor. Yeah. Aesthetically pleasing, like having a beautiful enclosure to start out with is not nearly as important as having the correct husbandry parameters. So yeah. don't go for the naturalistic, heavily planted enclosure if you don't know your, your parameters as far as temps, humidity, this, that, whatever, airflow. Um, start with the basics and build from that. And, like, I'm a very big proponent of naturalistic enclosures. Like, if you see my setups, I always have the backgrounds and everything, and I want it to look nice. I want it to look appealing, yeah, yeah. even though – I could put up something simple like lattice, which a lot of people do, and it's a very functional product. It, it, yeah. it absolutely serves the purpose of them having a usable surface on the wall. But I like for it to look nice. So right. um, having it look nice is not nearly as important as having it functional. So that's why I tell people don't worry so much about all the you know the faux foliage and the you know the beautiful faux backgrounds and all this stuff. Get your parameters right first, you know. Have the right yeah, heat, yeah. have the right temps, have the right airflow, have the right surface temps. All these little things that people sometimes make secondary to like, oh, it looks really cool. And it does. Exactly. It, yeah. it might be killing your animal. You yeah. Know? yeah. I think there's that nice middle ground of, you know, yeah. it's not totally sterile, you know, um, just like you said, a box, everything's so plain. It's 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 easy and convenient because you can literally mm-hmm. take something out, wipe it down, change out everything. Um, but sure. something that that still looks great, and yeah. Uh, yeah, trying to find that happy medium in your collection and doing them all, treating all the animals the same way. You know, um, I see a that's, ton of cages that are just missing stuff, and it's just one or two things. You know, yeah, um, they got like the basking stuff down, and maybe some things to climb but man the i mean monitors are like micro habitus you know so they love like little tight nooks that people are missing um you know people will do a whole crazy water feature but i think that uh uh 
the nesting area or an area to dig soil is a little bit more outweighing than the water feature. You know? Yeah, yeah sure. I, I, I would agree for sure. I it's think tricky, it's, but... aesthetics comes second for sure. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. so, if see, I don't post a lot of pictures and videos of like my quarantine setups because it's like, it's a, it's, it's basic. I mean, it is so yeah. basic. It's almost embarrassing, but it's about monitoring them, being able to observe them, uh, yeah. making sure I'm, I can see their food intake. I'm monitoring, like, are they defecating? Like all these little things that right, you need right. to know when you first get them. But I don't yeah. show that because I don't want to send a message to some, the folks that don't know and don't see the other stuff. They're like, oh, so that basic ass yeah. box you have right. there with a piece of cork bark screwed into the wall, that's all I need. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is just to get this animal, you know, quarantined and acclimated to captivity after being shipped, you know, God knows how many miles for however many days, weeks, and months in horrid conditions, you know, from some, you know, Jakarta bird market. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just to <laughs> get them squared away so that I can set them up properly. This is for ease yeah. observance. So Which I don't want to say that. Yeah, yeah, it's I, an I, important I, step too, uh, quarantining yeah. and, and getting things. Because my my animals, that's one of the things. Like I'm at that point where, okay, what do I do with some of the Indonesian stuff? It's mm-hmm. like pull them out of this this quarantine because I've seen some things where they've gone up and down, up and down. So it's like, okay, well, hold on, we got to you know keep everything in for a little bit longer. And um, um, but yeah, the quarantine cages are pretty simplistic, and then I have. Yeah. Yeah. One and a half, you know, I got the stuff to build the other uh, half and another cage for bigger, bigger cages for them. But until I'm, I'm convinced they're locked on, I'm so hesitant to put them in that bigger cage yeah. because I'm just like, OK, uh, yeah. you know, I almost would do myself a favor and, and plug in that bigger cage in with everything how I want it and setting it up and um, and testing it out for a solid month. Just so I know how the cage acts. It's probably something I should do. Yeah, and because uh, I'm that afraid was the of those guys. That, I had, that was the issue that I had. Uh, remember, Matt, uh, when I messaged you, like maybe uh, I don't know, maybe almost a month ago now, where I had those. The, my monitor had those little blisters and sores on them. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I basically went from a quarantine enclosure because I got that mail from from um, what you call it from um, Michael Cole, right? One of his very last mails that yep. um, he that sent. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the coli's, and then um, really, uh, it was you know a great plug into all my stuff. But I had to quarantine him, so he was kept, you know, he was not even soil, just leaf litter, water dish, uh, cork tube, and then a a flat, right? And uh, it would sleep mostly on the flat. I'd take the tube in and out if it just stayed in there all the time, you know. But it was really different for what I've had to do with this guy. And then I shoved him into an enclosure that I basically put together so fast like what, what alan was mentioning that you know i should have let this closure probably sit for a good week or two let let maybe the excess humidity come out but when i put them in there they went both directly into the the moist soil and then into yeah. the into the nest bin yeah. and you know these guys are all they do is hide Warm so and moist. It's, it's bound to happen yeah yeah, yeah. It's it's perfect so, recipe yeah right and so i was just like all right these i, I was after a few days, I was realizing, you know, their 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 skin doesn't look like like it like it normally should. It usually looks pretty mm-hmm. sleek and smooth, but um, and you know, then I pulled them out and I realized there was all these little wounds on them, and so I just Did had it heal to up? yeah yeah they actually healed up really well. Um, they're they're you know a little bit of 
of just scabs now that are basically yeah. you know drying off. That'll slough uh, but, off, yeah. Yeah, but it'll it'll slough off, and um, some of it is you know mating marks where you know the male's scratching the female's back, but yeah. but the other stuff on the tail and things like that. Yeah, I had to get those nipped in the bud. So all I really did was just uh, just give them a soak, let 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 some of the scabs come off, and then I just rinsed them with iodine and water, you know. Um, and then I did that, repeated that a couple times. But then what I did with the enclosure, I just uh, closed off the nest bin, so it's still in there. It's just got a cap on it, mm-hmm. right? And then um, and then uh, took out all that moist sand. And just put straight leaf litter at the bottom, and it's thick. It's thick leaf litter, so they can get in there. Yeah, but it's not where it's like trapping a bunch of. Yeah, they're not going to saturate themselves. Yeah, yeah. This is is an interesting one though, too, because on the other side, I've I've made this mistake where you start to notice something that could be attributed to uh, moisture, right, affecting them a certain way. So naturally, what do you want to do? You want to go dry them out and uh, dry the cage out. And then you run into other problems because that's not actually what they needed. Yeah. But maybe you can't accomplish both in that cage that you have, the way it's set up. It could be as simple as um, something along the lines of like a nest box at one side or a, a half the cage is able to maintain a certain amount of moisture. And then you have better ventilation on the other side of the cage. Mm-hmm. Secure hides in both that they are willing to hide in. You yeah. know, because um, if there's only one good hide, that's the one they're going to go in, whether it's on the too dry side or too wet side. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing because I've made the mistake of then drying something out, keeping it too dry. And mm-hmm. then I, I looked in there one day and the eyes are sinking in. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 wise to be mindful of that pendulum swing of like too far to the right on your approach, too far to the left on your approach, you know, yeah, just because you're trying to undo. It's like, oh, I went way too far on this husbandry method like let me back it off and then you swing too far to the other side so you know that's sometimes it's in between for me i've learned uh, okay going from when i was you know a a noob and then you know then you think you know what you're doing right and so the closures are kind of decked out man but sometimes that would really work against me with with my species right i think it's overall i just wasn't satisfied with them being um just hidden all the time, twenty four seven. You know, they come out when I leave, and, yeah. and that's it. You know, and I, you and see I them. <laughs> right. I want to see them, right? And so instead of instead of doing all that, I simplified it. So it's kind of like a mix between simple quarantine setup mm-hmm. with a little bit more now. That that's yeah. really it now. It's yeah. no longer these fully decked out enclosures where you know there's just two foot of soil everywhere in every direction. Now I have it simplified on where I want it to be. The, now I actually have a real dry, cool side where you know it's the air, the soil isn't stagnant. They can burrow there without you know getting um, those uh, bumps and blisters and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then also now that I have my like elevated tubes strategically placed rather than just throwing tubes any which way, um, I can see them, enjoy them better. Yeah. The the interaction is a whole lot better. Oh, it's, for sure. Well, giving them the parameters that they need, but it's not going too far where it's inconvenient for me as a keeper. Do you use yeah. like cork tubes for them to hide, tuck away in? Yeah, yeah. I have a one on the warm side, one on the cool side. I might have a couple more, but mostly it's the you know to have the option to do you, both. You know what I, I really found? What I found that works really well with monitors that like to tuck themselves away and 
you want to be able to see them, but you want them to be comfortable to acclimate because eventually they'll come around out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what I've done with tree monitors specifically is I'll take those cork tubes. I'll take one that's like got a, like a three or four inch diameter and I'll screw it into the back wall. And before I put the tree monitors in there, I'll take, um, what do you call it? Like a whole hole saw or whatever. And I'll cut, uh, one inch holes all the way down that cork tube. So there's like inches, like every other every two inches, there's a block where he can't yeah. see, and then there's like an inch or two inch where he can see. So as he goes in there, eventually, like it'll just sit there, and it'll just, you'll just see like that one eyeball sticking yeah. out of that hole. Yeah. And he's watching you, and he's eventually right. losing that fear because he's like, I feel safe. Right. I can see you. I don't think that you can see me, but I am in this snug area. And eventually, right. you find that they're just not in it anymore. So and that's yeah. that's like the whole whole like mind fuck of it all where yeah. you know it's like uh you're giving them the ability to be comfortable they can see you you're doing your own thing yeah um and, and at the same time them. it's slowly yeah and yeah. you can still see them right yeah. so my body composition and all that stuff and they right. you don't have to rip them out of the <laughs> tube you know and give them a look you know? yeah yes so it's like uh mine are just uh placed against the the wall where i can easily peer into them yeah. I haven't really done that. I, I, I've tried to, but I ended up just busting holes through <laughs> yeah. and breaking, breaking the, 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 the cork tube. <laughs> <laughs> Get just like a hole saw, man. Just drill, drill like two, like two inch wide holes. Just yeah. All, or even one inch all the way, all the way down yeah. it. And you'll be amazed. Like, I yeah, mean, I guess I, what I was looking at was to have something that was, I think more like five or six inches in diameter, roughly. Well, you but, got man, bigger stuff just, than I do, so you got yeah. And I just just want to cut a str- a whole strip of cork a- out of the one side, yeah, and then you have could. it hanging where it's more like it's hanging like this, you know? yeah, and, like a crescent uh, where they can look, they can, I can see see through yep. here, but they still have their thing. And yeah, I'm thinking about doing that instead. I, uh, I, I like the whole method. It's just uh, I want to I want them to be exposed where yeah. I feel like the exposure slowly after time, they just lose the, the they, scaring. I really think they do. And the reason I do the holes is because the cork tube is still connected in a lot of spots. So as it dries out over time, it's not going to just be brutal and collapse because it's oh, yeah, there's no right. support along that wall. So having those gaps where it's like it's still connected all the way around. It, it supports it. it. You know, right. Yeah, because, I mean, I've got tubes in here that are – years and years and yeah, years old yeah. that ten got years, those holes in. 10 years old. Yeah, they're dried up cork tubes, but they're still pretty sturdy. They're not coming apart anytime soon. Yeah. You know, not in my time anyway. I, so just, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to find. I went to uh, the show today and I was like, oh yeah, I'll pick up some some larger cork tubes, like some three foot pieces or whatnot. They were like 75, 100 bucks a piece <laughs> labeled at the show. Everything's getting more expensive, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna have to um come up I I love cork and you know I've yeah. ordered a few boxes of stuff usually, but it's it's I can use it with tree monitors, I can use it with the dwarf stuff, but not the bigger stuff. You know what? Um, Save your money, man. Go to Home Depot and get some PVC, drill those yeah. holes, mount those sons of bitches on the wall. The tree monitor, the monitor doesn't know the difference. It's a hide, man. Right. That's what I, I think I'm leaning. And, uh, you know, I was going to just cap the ends, um, but cut the, the cap in a way where the animal could fit in, but almost like it would hold the uh, leaf litter within the tube just to give yeah. it some kind of um, something for the for the animal. 
and just stuff it full of leaf litter and, and yeah, use some PVC tubes because I, I think you'll get it more interested in exploring it because it'll it'll be wanting to explore those scents in there. So if you throw in some fresh leaves, I mean it's gonna investigate it, you know. Yeah. It's gonna check it out. I mean they're foragers, that's what they do. You know, they're not gonna survive <laughs> otherwise. I mean speaking of prices going up though, have you looked at the prices of rodents? No man. Oh, my yeah. God, I a month, two months ago, whatever it was, I bought, you know, a freezer full of, you know, rodents, pinkies and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, that's kind of expensive. You know, $29 for a bag of pinkies. Now they're like 50 bucks or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, my God. I called uh, three different uh, frozen rodent vendors last week. And they're like, yeah, man, fuel is fuel prices has gone up so high that prices are going up and they're about to get marked up again. So yeah. just on Friday, I just, you know loaded up another you know, several boxes well, of stuff luckily no. most of my stuff i can kind of get away with some mice i don't use a ton but yeah man, you uh, got the grasshopper thing going man that's yeah yeah if i if i were to be that, that was that's my other supplement but man i use the the chicks and then i also use shrimp and crawfish mm. a lot so if i have to order from a, the company like Louisiana crawfish, then they're kind of expensive, but yeah. If you've got an Asian fish market nearby, right, those are those are gold market. mines. And those it's a uh, five dollars for for oh, a, yeah. a, a pound. I'll buy like maybe three or four pounds, and it'll last me a while for sure. You know, and I don't feed a ton, so I used to feed so much where it's like, man, I'm just kind of going through bags of chicks. Yeah, and um, Adam Slayton kind of adds uh, up. He has he's he sells chicks. That's where I get mine from. But I get yeah. the chicks, and then I get the uh, the eggs, the quail eggs that are just about to hatch. Uh, yeah. Those are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an absolute calorie bomb for, for yeah. monitors that can eat an egg that big. I mean, right. I, I don't know if it's sufficient for, like, the diet of, you know, like, mangroves and stuff. But for a lot no, of it's them, actually it's, it's actually really good. It, it's exactly it? the bite size. Because I guess most of my ma- – I mean, most of my mangroves are – I mean, they're probably smaller lengthwise than some of your tree monitors. I think my oldest female right now, she's like eight, right? Yeah. Um, she's only 24 inches. Yeah. So, yeah, she's she, – those those eggs are basically perfect bite oh, size. They're great, she man. Can get them down. Those are – I tell you what, I go through so many uh, quail eggs when it's not like trying to like plump them up, like give them that like that food yeah. intake burst to like stimulate a, a, a reproduction event. Those yeah. things are. I mean, it's like a guarantee. You pump them full of quail and quail eggs, and they just go crazy. You know. I need to find some quail eggs. Check out Adam Slayton. He's on Facebook, and uh, I think he has a website, but Adam Slayton LLC or something like that. He yeah. sells tons of quail. A lot of people buy from him. Mike Stefani turned me on to the guy. Great prices. I mean, he ships them like super well packaged. I mean, I'll, I'm not buying them from anyone else after that. You know. Best okay. yeah, straight up good guy. Okay, yeah, I will I will check that out because man, even um, you know, I would include some other food items for things. I would buy some random things here and there, but the price I have seen the price of everything going up, even for like uh chicken hearts and gizzards. Yeah, um, you know, stuff. yeah. Yeah. It used to be like two bucks, now it's three fifty, it's creeping up, you know. It's not um, going down either. It's gonna keep no. going up. So uh, I got I got a couple of species of roaches. I might have to add in those hissers for some some bigger roaches, and uh, <laughs> if feed I, them all. I, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just saying um, this this yard I was talking about where anything grows. I'm just going to start throwing some, you know, something that I don't have to pay too much attention to that the uh, the roaches can eat that'll just grow like crazy, you know. Go um, nuts. Yeah, yeah. Try to become as self sufficient as I can, and uh, because yeah, those prices, man, they're my food mm. source for my animals is cyclical. So like in this in the summertime, I buy you know, a couple thousand really small roaches, like little dubias, like the cheapest you can get them, you know, two super small. And I just, I don't feed them off to anybody all through the springs, summer and fall, only when it's winter. Cause in the winter time up here in Maine, you can't buy crickets or roaches. It'll die in transit. It's just, it's yeah. just earlier. So I'm buying the roaches in the spring and the summer to fatten them up for like the winter time to feed off to the animals. So come time when I'm about out of them, it's warm enough for me to start buying crickets again and roaches again. Smart. So, yeah. so I have to be, you know, I, I would say that that's probably something maybe depending on where folks live, that might be something worth thinking about, you know, prepare for that season when it's too hot or too cold to ship something. And that's why I buy my roaches. You know, I'll buy like, I don't know, I think I buy like 5,000 at a time, like little babies. It's still not cheap, mm-hmm. but it's a lot cheaper than buying 5,000 adults, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a fraction of that, you know, and the same thing with, you know, buy your mice when you can. And I, if you, if you folks are feeding rodents, man, check out, you know, gourmet rodent, mice direct, rodent pro, cold blood cafe or whatever, you know, buy them up because yeah, the prices are going up again. You know, it's, and they're, it's, uh, it's not out it's of range. Nuts. It's really nuts. I, I used to be in the, the, I used to do rodents before I figured out that they're deathly, I'm deathly allergic to them, you know. <laughs> It's and like the year, terrible. The, the, yeah. the year, the year and build up that'll kill you. It's a silent killer, you know. Yeah, no thanks. Um, but um, man, to to think about it, if to just do rodents, it's just that food. You're literally going through bags of dog food yeah. a day. That's gone from twenty five dollars to like probably thirty to fifty dollars now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, 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 I was looking at that market. I was because I was looking at myself. I was like, man with these you know with the groceries growing up so high it's three to it's three bucks for one head of lettuce you know on top of whatever else i'm buying and so i just think about man there's like rodent people that are probably having a sucky time trying to sell rodents where they can also earn a living you know most people Mm -hmm. i mean their profit margins probably are not extraordinarily good they can price themselves out of the market not by intent but just by you know, necessity to stay alive, you know, it's too yeah. expensive. And I got to say like, so my, so Reptile Revolt is, is a business. It's Reptile Revolt LLC. It's a business. So we have to do our taxes and all that stuff. And, you know, I just did our taxes not long ago and I looked up like yeah. how much we spend in it, you know, annually on food. And last year it was about $13,000 just to feed everything. That's just yeah. rodents and rodents. And, you know, that's not counting the, you know, we're making dinner and we got some chicken scraps, you know what I'm saying? And we freeze them and stuff yeah. like that. You know, that's not counting that stuff. Um, I think this year it's probably going to be close to double that, you know, yeah. just, just by seeing what I just paid for my rodents. Cause I mean, I mean, I'm literally plant paying almost, you know, probably 35, 40% more. So it's, it's, it's going to get real pricey real fast for a lot of folks. And I'm, yeah. I try to, I try to forecast, you know, what's coming down the road as best I can by buying the light bulbs and stocking up on frozen rodents and buying the roaches in the right season and stuff like that. And it's, it's a pain in the ass, but these, you know, this inflation and everything it's, and the logistical supply chain slowdowns and shortages, it's making everything really hard 
you know, for a lot of folks and for people that yeah, are breeding sure. stuff, if you're not yeah, feeding yeah. it a lot, it's not going to breed for you. You know, the, the, the food intake is a, is going to be a direct reflection of what, what you get in, in reproduction. I mean, that's how you stimulate a female to cycle is you've got to give her a lean period, you know, for the most part, a little bit of a lean period. And then you power feed them, give them some, you know, calorie dense prey items, introduce a male. And generally speaking, I'm speaking broad, not all species, of course, but generally speaking, that stimulates a cycle. Um, But if you're, you know, if you're rationing your food because, you know, a mouse that used to be, you know, 38 cents is now 89 cents. Well, just be mindful. You'll see <laughs> yeah, that. You will see that in the egg, you know, the egg production that you get out of your stuff. It's a direct yeah. reflection. So, trying to stay on top of it, I think I know a lot of people are trying to stay in front of it, but it's a, uh, it's a constant battle. And I wish that I could deal with the grasshoppers. I got, I got to tell you a story about that, Kai. So I get those grasshoppers from you, right? Yeah. I got these big, uh, three foot wide screen cages in the in this section of my basement where my tree monitors are. And mind you, I got a big ass trough with like 5,000 crickets in it that you can't really see, but you can hear the chirping nonstop. And I had a, I had to have a, um, um, a tradesman come out to do some work in the house, like a plumber or whatever it was. And he's like, so of course it's got to come into the basement. He's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell's going on down here? He's like, <laughs> you know, he's like one of those, like, he's fascinated. He's like, this is really neat. What is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? Tell me about this. And then he, I was, he's like, all right, let's go take a look at this thing, you know, you know, like what he's here to fix. And it happened to be right next to the grasshoppers. He walks in. The guy doesn't say a word. He's just kind of speechless for a minute. He points at your grasshopper, and he's like, my man, he's like, I got to say, everything's pretty neat, but what the fuck is that? He's like, that, <laughs> he's like, that's Silence of the Lambs, man. He's like, what's going on? I was like, yeah. I know they look creepy, man, because they're not cute little green grasshoppers, like only when you get them. And then yeah. when they get big, they're like these big three-inch brown, yeah. creepy-looking grasshoppers that are constantly, yeah. you know, jumping <laughs> off the walls and banging into the walls. And yeah, it's a little creepy for a lot of people, man. Like it takes people a minute to get used to it, and people that don't see it and understand it are like, they kind of look at you like, "Are you a little crazy?" You know? Yeah, so, I'm a little crazy. Yeah, I literally gotta lie every day to the, to the <laughs> yeah, worker. They Nobody always ask else me. liked them, but me. I was like, I think they're kind of neat, you know. Yeah. Everyone else yeah. was like, Nah, man. Let's stick to the roaches and the crickets and the thing and the this and uh, that. Oh, it's and, a trippy thing too. Seeing them hang from the ceiling as they like yeah. shed that exoskeleton. So, That's yeah. Everyone was like, What in the hell? Like, I'm all okay with these animals and these reptiles and the crickets and the this, but this has got to go. Yeah. So, right. And I'm looking back on it. And I'm like, Geez, man. Like, that's a. I wish I could keep up with that because it's a really good nutritional source. That that's great yeah, for animals. Yeah, it and economically, it's fantastic. But for the fact that it weirds everybody out that comes into the, the space. But, yeah, uh, they're, I mean, they're not. They're. I mean, trust me, I kill hundreds of them every week, man. It, it's a it's a tricky thing. I have big ones dying, little ones dying, eggs that are drowning all the time, or where I dry them out. Yeah, it's a it's a. It's a lot of work, man. Oh, I don't and doubt then, it, man. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Just just getting mine to go that I got from you and Cody was like – it was like a nonstop endeavor. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Right. They reproduce like crazy. And yeah. I'll tell you what. There's not an animal here that didn't go crazy for them. Like they really, yeah. really loved them. But 
even for yeah, me, I don't mind grabbing a Doobie Roach. Like, I'll grab a fistful of Doobie Roaches, and I don't give a shit. But I'd open up that screen door, and I got 30 big-ass grasshoppers, Bronco jumping out of the cage on my chest and face. I'm telling you, man, like, it's a little, yeah. you know, yeah. it's off. I, I, get to, I catch them to the face sometimes, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah they're prickly. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. Like, when they, when they land on you, they know to kick, and it just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh my god, what happened to your face? Oh, I got attacked by grasshoppers. <laughs> like, all right, man, if you don't want to tell me what happened, don't tell me. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> I couldn't make them work. I tried, but I don't have. I don't think I. I can do the the kind of work that they need to sustain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can order them as feeders, fine, and I can I can keep them going to like feed them all off. But yeah, to to successfully stay on top of them to reproduce them, I just. Not right now. I, my lobster yeah. roaches, you know, I love them lobster roaches. I could basically ignore them, send their tub tumbling down the stairs on accident, pick them back up. You know. They're good to go. They don't, yeah. Yeah. they don't care. Man, I wish. I wish. Uh, I wish. I was doing those roaches again. Some of those really fast producers, I mean, man, it just it blows things out of the water. You know, you're do just, the lobster roaches climb glass or plexiglass? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. I think but that because pretty, these aren't yeah, in my yeah. house and they're at the warehouse. So my, yeah. I was joking with Joe, uh, Kai actually brought this up. My whole warehouse is bioactive because <laughs> yeah, the, the amount of spiders in there that, oh, that, kill off the excess feeders that get out. And then I have like four alligator lizards running around. They, they are the best fed alligator lizards oh, in the world. Yeah. They, oh yeah. And uh, they just, there's different areas they can get to where, you know, they can get up against the wall cause they don't need a ton of heat like other animals, mm-hmm. but they are just having their way, having a fun time in there. And I realized my whole warehouse is a bioactive, you know, machine. You know, I got, I got so many goddamn crickets that get loose in my house every single week like i find them everywhere they're in the toilet they're in the bathtub in the sink. <laughs> and everybody's like dude what the hell man like what's going on and i'm like you can't help it like you get a scoop of them out of a bucket and one of them jumps out you know what are you gonna do oh, oh yeah but i'll tell you what the spider population in this house has never been happier you know? yeah like it, and i i love snakes reptiles creepy crawlers i'm not messing with a spider i'm telling you right now like i draw the line yep. right there but they are so happy. I'm I'm this close to buying like a hundred house geckos and just tossing them loose in the basement and saying, I've about, man, "Yeah, I live your best life and keep these things at bay." I've thought about doing that too. Same <laughs> same thing. Just a bunch of or they like I have morning geckos. Yeah, just man. let them go. Let them see go. what happens. And, but I don't have fruit flies. I think if I had something small enough for them to to eat, you know, yeah. then we'd be good. But uh. Yeah, this is so dry. It's so dry here. They, they they wouldn't like I'd have to have like a whole, you know, water cup water for for them. And then I realized, man, that's not a smart idea because then I got little like fecal matters all over the walls. Yeah. Yeah. I used to live in New Orleans and my I had those geckos and tree frogs everywhere in my garage yeah. and it was great but it's like you're saying kai i'd have like little shit streaks in my garage wall everywhere like, <laughs> like, this yeah. is unsightly <laughs> this, yeah. this doesn't look it's good. yeah paint over it no that's just texture now <laughs> you need a lot of texture on your walls here <laughs> yeah. yeah that's funny man yeah you know uh i do have morning geckos in the house now because we keep them here 
And so the kids will help me find the little ones, but for all the, the little, so normally we'll see one, they're usually in pairs. So there's another one running around somewhere. I know that. And if there's one of them, cause I look at these tubes, I have these like um, bamboo tubes in there and they're yeah. just chock full of, of eggs. And sometimes oh, yeah. I'll look down in there with a flashlight and half the eggs have hatched. I'm like, I, I don't know where they are. They're <laughs> in somewhere. Yeah. They're living their best yeah. life, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm close to doing it, man. I'm real close. It might be a tough yeah. spell for everyone else in the house, but got to keep these crickets at bay, you know? And yeah. Bring it, bring a little of the, uh, you know, uh, the other, the tropical world into your house, you know? It's funny, you go other places in the world, and sure enough, there's geckos just running around doing their thing. Oh, for sure. I walk around yeah. with a shot back in my basement, just whoop, 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 <laughs> them up whenever I'm down here, like, that's like a deal. Yep. Outside of that, yep. just, you know, they get out. What are you going to do? You got to buy yep. it's necessary. It's a necessary port. So you just had some stuff. lamps go out behind you, right? Oh, they're, they're, everything's they're on timers, and it's almost 7 o'clock, so uh, this whole row here is going to start going off one at a time. So it'll it'll get dark in here in like five minutes. So, yeah, yeah. I again, I keep everything as simple as I can. So, comes on in the morning, goes off at night. Very little inter- intervention for me to do anything except for say, check say, bulbs. Yeah, and the, stuff. The, the math is the same for all the enclosures, and and they're hooked mm-hmm. up kind of on the same similar timers. You know. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I actually got to go from eight hours back to twelve and fourteen hours. Yeah, so, yeah. Everything is on, has only it's been it turns off. You know, I have them on from eight p.m. to like three three a.m. Yeah, and so the lights have been off before I even get up again. So it's like uh, I have I kind of miss them a little bit, you know. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah. They're they're yeah. they're always like, I mean, they were trying to be active as they could, you know, always wanting to eat, but I had to be really strict on their lean period and i wanted to see if you know taking the males down to 65 and 70 will actually help with the sperm regulation at all you know yeah. um, i i really think it does i don't know enough what, about it to be honest with you like i i don't really i haven't dabbled it i mean arguably like dwarf monitors benefit from it i know naturally that they do yeah go through that cycle um, I think I'm just taking what people are doing with north american animals and then what they do with snakes and um, breeding snakes, but also, you know, turtles benefit from it. I've, I've, I've kind of read along the lines of other monitors, yeah. I'm mean, sorry, others, other animals. And then a couple other monitors where, you know, like Dave Kirshner, he cools his lace monitors. Down. Yeah. I was um, just about uh, to mention him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I've, that's where, you know, I, I was really taking it where it's, uh, you know, if he's doing it with his lace monitors, basically giving them a break. Yeah. And I also was thinking, man, I'm not going to just go into the next season without a break after six, seven clutch. Man, one of my, one of those coli laid like six times. Yeah. From, you don't want to, you don't want to tax like them too October, much. You know? Yeah. From October to, to March, basically just, when I was like, all right, I'm going to cut you off now. It's perfect timing. The weather's about to change. It's yeah. still kind of chilly though. So, you know, if, if I were to, turn all their heat down during winter it would have been too it would have been too chilly yeah um you gotta strike a balance for me my 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 room stayed fairly consistent like there's a swing with the seasons and whatnot but it's it's safe i could turn the lights off you know 24 hours a day and it would still be safe parameters down here but i have i don't actually do really like a uh you know like a lights out 
dormant period for any length of time. Like I do, I go shorter daylight hours and I go, I go from two bulbs to one bulb, no matter what. And I I do reduced feeding. So they get much, much less food. Um, probably like, like the duration, like how Mm -hmm. long do I do it? Two months, two months, two months, two months months is max. Um, and it's, it's much less food is probably maybe 25% of what they normally would eat for that. Mm -hmm. So like once or twice a week, something like that about that. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like I eyeball them, you know, like I, I feel like if you, like I check on my animals probably like no kidding, probably 15 times a day, you know, I'm a little obsessive on it. But I, I check them out, and if I see one out foraging around, and I'm like, yeah, you haven't eaten in a few days, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll get out something, and I'll, I'll feed everyone that's out foraging. But I don't make a habit to like feed every single cage because it's Tuesday yeah. the third or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of wait. And I'm like, all right, you're out there foraging around. You must be really itching for something, and it's been a while. And if I don't see anyone out, I'm not throwing anything in, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to fill up their gut. You know, if they're not going to be able to have enough hours to digest it and, you know, and, and right. get rid of it because you yeah. can rot their gut and they can die from that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. that that's about the extent I do. Um, but actually this coming um, January is when Maine gets really, really cold, J- uh, J- January and February. What I plan to do is go down from the 75 watts to the 39 watts and, and go down to just eight hours a day. And it's yeah. mostly out of just curiosity. I want to see what's going to happen, you know, yeah. Yeah. and I know it'll impact reproduction, you know, but I want to see like, will these females, you know, will they come back, you know, better and stronger and better? Like, mind you, yeah, uh, I probably get 90% fertility, give or take, but maybe there's a benefit. I don't know, but I want to see, yeah, you know, there's no harm I'm in trying. trying, you know? Right. Yeah. It's uh, if you're, if you can understand how to, I mean, people that are listening, you know, it's not common practice. A lot of people just kind of heat and feed their monitors, so to speak. You know, some people do um, give them a chance to basically get a break, you know, from producing so much. Um, and if you're kind of used to or if you've read and or even studied or even bred yourself, you know, North American turtles and tortoises or, um, you know, snakes, people, you know, colubrids to pythons to boas, all those types of snakes, I think a lot of people are doing a regular basically a cool down yeah. a lot. And mm-hmm. what, what people will take advantage of is they'll take the Northern hemisphere cool down where they'll start like in September, October. And that's like an early part of the year. And some people will start not, not, not really start until November, December, you know, so it really just depends on when you really want to start. And then you end up with, you know, babies not too long after like eggs. I think gestation with most snakes is not that long. And then, incubating most eggs is like two and a half months yeah you know, mm-hmm. some are a little longer but most are about 60 to 90 days give or take yeah. you know the, uh, the as far as me applying that to my current monitors from going in going from 2020 into 2021 that was my most i guess i would say successful year hatch rate and all that stuff like that going from 2021 into 2022 I didn't really cool them at all. Um, I, there was I, I wasn't, no, there was a difference, right? And um, what it was is from 2021, most of that summer and into fall, they were basically doing their whole thing, right? And so I just kind of let them keep going, 
You know, yeah. I didn't really stop yeah. them. And I was really trying to get at least one. Shoot, if you guys are going at this rate, right. I'm just going to, you know, keep going. But then I realized now it's several clutches in and I'm not really getting anything. So it's got to be something. Um, the females are magnificent. You know, they're doing their job, laying on time. You know, I'm not really having issues. And the eggs look decent. It's not like they're, you know, porous or all weird shaped or all oddly colored or anything like that. They come out really looking good. It's just they're not fertile. Um, like, have you, you know, checked them for veins? Like, do they have veins initially, like good vascular? No, they're just oh, they're that. Not. They're like that soggy look when they come out. You yeah. Know, they're not even really plump. It's a different so texture and everything yeah, to them. It is. Know? It's a whole, like, a really good egg is heavier, yeah. firm, it's leathery, white, leathery, whiter. Yeah. And it's not so much as, you know, I, I've, I've, I realized, Dan, those are kind of soft. Yeah. When they're laying them and stuff These like that. Pearls are a little more glossy, also. A yeah, yeah. Texture, like you get to recognize them after a while. Well, I, you it's, know what? If you saw a difference in it, then you gotta you gotta put some credence in it, you know, and right. say mm-hmm. there's yeah. a value in doing it, you know, a certain way. And uh, I think this is where you know some of these monitors, and it may not be where it's I'm cooling them down. Um, you know, so much to hibernate or brewmate for very long. They're still wanting to be regularly active lizards. It's yeah. just I'm not supporting them to be producing, and I separate them so that way they, they aren't trying to produce. Um, and then I have the capabilities to get my enclosures down to about 60 degrees, um, surface temperature where he can go and sleep. Basically, he's going to tuck there, and I see them utilize it. That's another thing is – you know, instead of chasing the heat, sleeping by the the warmth, where they do get a random light light for eight hours of the day, they he's going to the very coldest spot of the enclosure and taking advantage of it. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, you know, I, I let them run with that, and um, I don't try to keep it so hot anymore, like 80 degrees on the cool side, and you know, it's so hot, yeah. it's so hot all around. They really don't get a a, a a chill, even even just to be cool and dry. You know, they don't have that option, but now I give that option yeah. as, a, as a mandatory part of the enclosure or else the cage is too small. You know? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I have it's one weird. cage. I don't – it just – no matter what, this cage is always hot and humid. And I can turn the lights off and I open the, the cage and the humidity just hits <laughs> me in it. And uh, <laughs> it's built just like the other ones too, but – I'm still trying to figure out this one cage and um, super efficient. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, it's 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 the one with the black trees in there, and it just for whatever reason I cannot get that one. And it's just like the other one. It's it's a U-line crate. Um, everything seems like it's set up the same, but I can open up any of the other cages, and it's like okay, it, it feels normal. This one I can leave the light off for the day, go in there in the evening. And I open up that cage. It's like the light's been on the whole time. And I cannot for the life of me figure this. Does it, it's have, my little... does it have anything in there? Like, does it have rocks or anything like that in there? Like something that maintains heat and radiates it slowly? Just the, uh, no, not really. I, I mean, it's it's got um, about 10 inches of dirt in the bottom. Yeah. So, I mean, other than the dirt being its own little bank. But I started off, you know, I've, I've messed with it in the morning, starting it off cool. And uh, I don't – that cage just – now I only have one door on that cage. Yeah. Um, it was an idea I was messing around with just to see if, like, only giving them one door, one way for me to access would 
help them acclimate in any way rather than being so frightened of every little thing that walks by basically the one half of the cage they can kind of hide in. Um, so I don't, I don't know. When you go <laughs> ventilate, add some more ventilation, yeah. man. Get that airflow, yeah. and there's only so much you know. There's only so much heat going to be retained if you add more airflow to it, you know. Right. That I might have to that one, and it might be just the way I did the hinges. Maybe, maybe I need to check it out. Maybe that door closes tight against the front of that cage, where the rest of them, you know, there's a little bit of a gap that allows airflow that seems to work out. But maybe that that one's just sitting a little too close to the uh, could be the wood on there. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, all my tree monitor enclosures on the left side. There's a, uh, I think it's, I think it's an 18 inch wide by 18 inch tall. It's just, it's just a vent. You know, I screen mm-hmm. it in, and then I frame it so they can't, like, you know, pop it up. And then there's the vent on it, so they can't get out. So there's the screen and the hard metal vent, and man, it keeps good airflow. Um, doesn't get too hot. Keeps, uh, yeah. keeps low 70s throughout most of it. And then, you know, high 90s at the very, very tip top. And then, you know, low 80s where the basket is, you know, not surface temp, air temp. And it seems to work. But that 18-inch man, 18-inch vent does great. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. For 5 10 bucks at Home Depot, it's tough to beat. I might have to. I, I got some of those circle vents. Or I think they're 2 and a half or 3-inch. Oh, soffit uh, vents? They're, well, they're metal. Um, and then they, they're made for, like, them. They're made for like quarter inch material, and you bend the tabs yeah. over yeah. on the inside. Yeah, I've seen and those. Uh, yeah, so I've had some good luck of those. I bought a bunch of those to add ventilation on some things. So and it's real easy. Just oh, that's another thing. I don't know how this happened, but um, you know when you're using a, a bit to cut a hole in something, basically it has like uh, that little can on there with the teeth, and then you have your lead bit in the middle, right? Yeah. And um, I walk in the other day, and my drill sitting right where I put it down and the drill bit in the middle is bent like, like at a 35 degree angle. And I'm like, at first I'm like, did the kids get in here and mess with yeah. this thing and drop it? But even then I'm like, that, that takes real stout. effort. Yeah. Yeah. That's like solid this, steel. This thing bend? <laughs> yeah, I can't figure it out for the life of me, how this drill bit got bent. Like Bigfoot's walking around in my, warehouse at night or something good luck but, uh, out. <laughs> yeah yeah that's just it i'm like oh this is a pain in the butt yeah um anyways that was just a fun story you know i was like i i can't figure out how the hell this thing got bent but you know what matt we we got on here talking about stuff of course probably because we've had you on before we covered a bunch of the stuff but um you know i don't think you've said of course that you keep tree monitors yeah. but uh, and probably if, if people are listening to this, they probably know who you are anyway, that and what you keep. But, uh, if you wanted to touch on your, would you say the tree monitors are your main, main thing? Um, I think that they used to be, they used to be my okay. main thing and I do love them and I, they'll always have a special place in my heart, and my interest. Uh, I started keeping them in, I want to say it was like 2001 or two. And I got my first clutch of eggs in 2003 and that was just pure blind luck and ever since then i was just absolutely fascinated with them but over the last you know 20 years of of tinkering with them and having them and stuff i still love them but i I, i've dialed back quite a bit and i think the majority of what i work with now um like on a a, just on the ratio there is probably the the aussie dwarf monitors now Um, not not for any reason other than the fact that i haven't had as much time with them 
So it's a newer fascination, so I'm indulging in it a bit more. Um, but I'll always have tree monitors. I, 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 you're going to be hard-pressed to find me without them at some point in my life. I'll probably be yeah, 90 years old in hospice with a you know a, a tree monitor enclosure next to my bed, you know, and my or my IVs dripping in my arm or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they're fascinating. They're really really fascinating. And I, you know, what gives me comfort is like popularity in them has, has been skyrocketing lately. Because like yeah. when I first got them in early 2000, I would never even heard of it. And in fact, I was living in Los Angeles, and I went to you know where La, uh, La Habra is. Kai? Yep. Yeah. I live a, right here. I live right. I go to it every day. You know, La Habra Pets then. You know, the owner, yeah, yeah. he's not the owner anymore, but the guy Peck, do you remember him? He's the Asian guy? Yeah, old Filipino yeah. dude. So, I think they're still there. Well, he sold it to a, guy, a younger guy. I don't know who he sold it to because yeah. I had moved away, but Peck was the guy. He was in his like 50s or whatever back in the early 2000s. He had black tree monitors and green tree monitors, and I'd never seen him, and I was just fascinated as soon as you walk in, they were right there when you walked in. And I would just – I would spend endless time, you know, talking with Peck and just asking everything about him. And, you know, he didn't know shit about him. You know, he's just like, I don't <laughs> feed him, you know. He just, he just thought they were cool. So I finally bought them, bought a pair, and just started tinkering with them over the years. And ever since then, you know, slowly popularity has been building. And now we've gotten to a point where – Enough information is out there about them, about good husbandry, and you've got a lot of folks producing them. You got um, Cody's producing them, Brian Whitehead, Brian, uh, Brian Susan, Brandon Van Astern up in Canada. I mean, there's yeah. a, and there's more people than that. You know, Nick Gill, he's producing them. Um, yeah. High High and Naked Dragon, he's doing it. Like lots yeah. of people are doing it now, so it's kind of not. It's kind of nice. It's like okay, like. People are like really seeing these things for the fascinating animals that they are because back in those days, people thought they were almost throwaway. They were like four hundred dollars for a lizard. They're, they're, the way they were imported, right? Back the way they were imported, and then the way people kind of—I mean, there were only a handful of people that were really willing to deal with, you know, the how finicky they could be, or yeah. and they came you know, in so delicate. Back, yeah, how I mean, hard they were just. Beat the hell when they first came in back in the you know the nineties and two thousands, they were just I mean they were like on their deathbed, so people didn't want to spend the money on something that was almost gonna definitely die. gonna die, you know. Yeah. But it's gotten to the point where you know importation is still it is what it is. Let's face it, they don't come in great, but they do come in a lot better now than they used yeah. to, and yeah. so that so the uh, the mortality is better than what it once was. They're a little hardier, so it's a little easier to get them started now. But the real beauty is that there's enough captive uh, of them being produced like captive in the U.S. that we don't really need to indulge in the wild caught stuff so much more. And right. there's such a remarkable difference between a wild caught, even super acclimated tree monitor as compared to one that's captive bred. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's like a not even the same animal, quite frankly. Right. You know, it's really not. People like um, Kathy Brown. You know, she, she has some wild caught that she was raised up for the last, like, you know, 10, 15 years, and they're remarkable. They're outstanding. But it takes a long time for a wild caught to get that way, you know, generally speaking. But captive produced, I'm telling you, it's one of the neatest tree, one of the neatest varanids out there to get into. They're yeah. absolutely brilliant. There's no other varanid that's even remotely similar yeah. to them in the, pre, the true prehensile tail. 
the dexterity that they use with their hands, like they really will reach in a cork tube yeah. and pull something out. And I, I mean, it, like I've got, so this room here is all dwarf monitors with the exception of this one cage right here. That if you can't, if you notice my eyes keep going over there, it's because I got a, a female blue tree captive bred that she's going out next week. So I moved her into here just so I don't, so I don't forget to ship her ass out, quite frankly. <laughs> She's been foraging constantly for crickets. But I, and I point this out just because a wild-caught tree monitor, by and large, is not going to be this entertaining to, to sit here and watch. They're going to be tucked away. They're going to yeah. – they're just – they're kind of – they're not that great, you know. But captive bred, these are amazing. Like I, I don't know anyone that could look at this blue tree monitor and not fall in love and be absolutely fascinated with it. Yeah. So I'll always have – you know what I'm saying? I'll always have them. But I have scaled back – considerably this entire room used to be nothing but tree monitors also and then when i peeled everything back and i've gotten more into the dwarf monitors they took over this room pretty quick uh real fast actually and then yeah, the i know that problem <laughs> yeah and then the tree monitors moved to another room that got utilized just for them but uh yeah i'm really looking forward to more people working with them and more people producing them because quite frankly I'm of the, this is just personal opinion, and I don't say this like in a braggadocious way. I think they're about as easy as any other monitor species to breed once you get the parameters figured out. And I get a lot of messages, a lot of messages about what do I do? How do I do this? What do you think of this? What does this look like? Is my monitor sick? Whatever, what have you. Tons of this stuff, and it's good, and I answer every single one of them. Because I, I really enjoy that part, that engaging of people that are really trying to do it the right way. But the more people that get captive-produced animals, it's going to make that much easier on them. They're going to really get past the trials and tribulations of trying to get this thing from, I just want this to survive, to the point yeah. of thriving. And that's when you really get to sink your teeth into what it's like to have these animals. Because one that's, And this is with all varanids. If it's wild-caught. It's got a bad attitude. It's afraid and it's regurgitating and shitting when you pick it up and it's hiding all the time. That's not enjoyable. You just sunk a lot of hard-earned money into something that you can't even see and enjoy. And it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's off-putting for a lot of people and it turns them off and it doesn't it, you know elicit any inspiration, you know. But when you get something like this and it's social, like it's pawing at the glass and you open yeah, up your yeah. thing, fucking springboards onto your chest and is walking around you. Not because it thinks you have anything, but it's curious about you. And like when you and you get these varanids that they get past that fear, they're past that survive, and they're now into that thrive mode. That's when that bond starts taking place. Like I've got Aki monitors that aren't worth more than you know three four hundred bucks as compared to like a four thousand dollar blue tree. And I love these maybe even more than some of these tree monitors just because I hatched them and I raised them. And, like, yeah. I'll spoon feed them, like, grub pie, you know, because I think it's funny to watch this thing. And, like, they do – they you know, they, they develop little mannerisms. Like, I don't know about all other species that do this, but I've got this one Aki here. When he's had enough, he takes his hand and he swats – he smacks himself in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? Nobody else is doing this. But they you just start to notice their personalities. And it's yeah. when you get to that point with these animals, whether it be a tree monitor, a croc monitor, or whatever – that that fear is gone you really get to see like what this animal is really about and it's not even remotely in the same universe as that wild caught freaked out scared animal and that's that's the beauty of like what of what i see happening with tree monitors 
You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was just a few years ago that this explosion happened with water monitors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, with people with like right. Kevin McCurley at Nerd was blowing them up. Brad Salzwood was doing the guru lines. Um, uh, yeah, there's more as we get to the year coming and all that stuff like that. More and more people are doing, you know, and getting better at hatching some of the hard species yeah. that are basically we, really we are, tricky. We are a hot skip and a jump away from reptiles being very mainstream. I was just talking about this the other day with my banker about how if you go back 20 years ago, reptiles were absolutely a fringe pet to have. People right. were like, you have an iguana? Yeah. What? Like that's weird, you know. Like, now it's like weird. an everyday thing yeah, where it's, it's like uh, it's less expensive, better than a dog. It's you know, a you don't have huge market. A, it's a right. huge market, and then if you go back ten years ago, it's a thousand times bigger than it was twenty years ago. And then you come today, think about where we're going to be in ten, twenty years. And the reality yeah. is, is this: most of the stuff that we have right now will never be imported into this country again in five shit. Two years from now, five years, ten years from now. So what we've got is potentially all we'll ever have. So we're the stewards of these living animals. It is entirely up to us hobbyists that are working with these to ensure their survival in a captive atmosphere from a hobby or an industry standard. And I don't say that in a means to be materialistic, you know, in a money sense. I say it as in like this is this is where. The groundbreaking stuff is taking place with conservation. It's conserva- conservation through captive propagation, a, a yeah, yeah. coined by Tom Crutchfield. And some people will snicker at that. But the reality is, is this. If we weren't working with these animals and fine-tuning the ins and outs of their husbandry and, say, a volcano erupts on Bantanta and every blue tree monitor in existence in the wild is wiped off the planet. And let's face it, right. that's a very likely scenario in a yeah, yeah. fire. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's nothing but volcanic action over there. That stuff does and can happen. I mean, where the fuck did the dinosaurs go? It happens, right? So <laughs> when it does happen, and it will eventually, yeah. this is how this species survives. It's through zoos. It's through captive breeding programs. And while we're, quote, unquote, basement breeders or whatever, well, I got to tell you, I get calls from zookeepers and curators asking me about what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So there's value added by your everyday hobbyist that's putting in absolutely, and they're fine tuning these animals because eventually this is all we're going to have. And I, I really take it serious in the sense that like, I want to make sure that these blue trees are always in someone's capable hands. And I turn down a lot of people on sales for stuff because I just don't get a sense that they're serious about it. I don't get a good feel that they're going to set it up right. uh, Or they're just, they want to flip it. And I, that I'm not selling you any, I don't need to sell you anything. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm kind of known as being a little abrasive with people in that regard that at shows that I'm just like, no, I'm not going to sell this to you because I don't think that you're ready. You know, I didn't put all the work to breathe. This is a living animal with a personality. A light yeah, that's, you know, a light. that's how I feel about my stuff too. It's yeah. like I can just sell it to anybody. Sure, no, it's but. a living animal. It's like it's easy for people to have an emotional attachment to a dog or a you know a kitten or whatever, and they don't like. Oh, I don't get a good feeling from this person. I don't want to send this cute cuddly animal to this you know this person because for whatever reason. That's how I feel about these animals. If I don't get a good sense, quite frankly, you're going to have to find it elsewhere. 
I value I value every one of these guys' life. I want to make sure that all these all these all this offspring goes to a good home. And I really hope other people do because like I was saying before, this is it. Like you cannot import dwarf monitors from Australia, anything from Australia anymore. So what we've got is what we got. And yeah, sure. they're not gonna like Indonesia, it's going to it's going to get completely blocked eventually. It's just a matter of time. It's it's and you know what? Yeah. I'm not opposed to it. I'm entirely a, a fan of it, quite frankly, because I I think that we basically have enough. If we can pull our heads out of our, our collective asses and start doing the right thing by these animals, you know, in these captive conditions, you know, in our enclosures and our husbandry, we have enough to sustain an industry uh, in this country. And we don't need right, to be right. pillaging them from the wilds. And we really need to get away from it. So yeah. I'm entirely in favor of indonesia completely shutting down and i'll tell you what right off the bat there's going to be a lot of stuff that i'm going to say man i wish i had that i really right. wish I had it that's a i'll have moments where i'll have a diva moment where i'm <laughs> the moment that i can't have this species that i know i could do right by but you know what it's for the betterment of an entire existence of a species and i'm okay with that so if it means i can't have an animal that i really want i'm okay with it you know, I'm not going to like it necessarily in all, all, all regards, but I'm okay with it. It means this species gets to survive. So we need to be serious about what we have. We need to really not just set the bar low and go minimalistic. We need to go bigger and better and, and you know, and, and be smart about what we're doing and take care. We need to be good stewards of it. And if we're not doing that, then quite frankly, I don't think we should be doing it at all. You know, yeah. and, and I think when you go into like, and I'm going to knock PetSmart and Petco, like those big box pet stores. When I go into a store like that, which is not often, it's for dog food. But like when I go, I can't help but look at the reptiles, you know. And quite right. frankly, it's not inspiring. Like I look at this and I'm like, geez, I feel yeah. bad for these animals because that's not the proper husbandry. It's not good. Maybe in a commercial sense, it'll get them by for 30, 60 days until some unsuspecting person buys it. But the problem with that is they see that piss poor minimalistic husbandry and they think that that's the standard. And that's yeah. the problem. And that's why they're considered throwaway animals to some people because, eh, you buy it for 20 bucks, it dies. Big deal. Well, I think the leopard gecko probably cares. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I think by elevating our expectations of what Danes are, by showing, like, you can't really see it, but I have enough pictures and videos, and we all do, which showcases, like, hey, this is what I believe to be sufficient husbandry. I hope that it inspires someone to be like, you know what? I can build that, and I can do it better, you know? And I see people doing it all the time. They're doing it better than me. I see these people building these enclosures, and I'm like, my goodness, that's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. On Instagram, there's this there's this hobbyist monitor girl. I don't know her name offhand, other than monitor girl. She has got the most badass water monitor enclosure inside her house that's probably as big as some people's living rooms. And this no thing is incredible. And I see that, and I'm just like, God bless you. Like this is a person that is truly recognizing that these are sentient beings. They have emotions. They have fear. They I believe they experience joy, comfort, satisfaction, you know, and this person embraces that by giving them everything that they need and could want. And it's a very good replication of, you know, wild husbandry standards. And we can do that with all these things. We can do it with mm-hmm. everything. There's not a species that we have 
that we can't replicate, you know, the conditions in some way. Now, mind yeah. you, you're not going to make your living room a monsoon, but my God, there are, <laughs> there are ways to replicate without destroying your house. And I think, yeah. I think when I look back to the nineties, like there was 10 gallons with the screen tops to where we are now in, in, in 2022, man, if I saw someone with my enclosures in the nineties, I would be like, what in the world? Like I, it wouldn't even dawn on me to do this. Right. So I remember, I, think, I remember enclosures were like, uh, for like the tree monitors, right? There was, uh, some zoo and what it was, was two Neodosha cages Neodosha. that were really <laughs> tall. And it had a bunch of vines in it, and then it had one connecting to <laughs> Yeah. And uh, that was so old. I think I remember that. <laughs> it was like black and white pictures. They weren't even really fully oh, colored. Man. But you that's know? how it and, starts, uh, man. You got to start. Yeah. That's your ground floor with husbandry. And now we've got – in 20 years from now, what is it going to look like? I, I'll tell you right now, in 20, 30 years from now, people are going to look at what I'm doing right now, and they're going to be like, my God, what were you thinking? But yeah. you know what? Like it, it's progress. It's 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 a body in motion. We're trying to improve. We, you, the more you learn, the more you implement. The more you implement, the better your your successes. You know your your results are. And I can only hope that it gets better from here. And I really believe it will. And the fact yeah. that I see people like Nick Gill, you know Cody, Brian Whitehead, Brian Susan, all these other folks producing monitors, tree monitors, specifically, it's working. Mm-hmm. People are being inspired. People are making these great enclosures. People are doing, you know, right by their husbandry standards, and the results. You can't, you can't manufacture the results. You know, yeah. you can bullshit all you want. You can show fabulous things, but if you're not, re, you know, if you're not consistently getting life events out of these animals, meaning reproduction events on a consistent basis, they're not thriving. They're just surviving. So when I whoa, say, Matt, whoa. You're starting to sound like a puppy mill, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's not well, it's designed to do. And you got it's worth remembering there's a reason like a fish has a thousand babies. Yeah. yeah. It's because in the wild, most of them are gonna die. Go to a sea yep. turtle nest. What percentage of sea turtles are gonna make it to adulthood? Practically none of them almost. It's they're designed to lay massive numbers of eggs over a period of time of their life cycle because their days are numbered in the wild. You know, there's no guarantee right, right. this female is going to make it, you know, six, seven years. So in the meantime, she's got to be like a Pez dispenser with those eggs in the wild to ensure the survival of her species. So when you can see them go. You're not activity, they go. Yeah, you're not exploiting them, you know, in, in these enclosures by by replicating their the, their conditions and stimulating life events to where they're thriving. This is literally what these things are designed to do. And the, right. the reality is, is this. If you're supporting your animal with its dietary needs, you know, UV light. I don't even listen to people that they don't need UV light. You're out of your mind. Of course, they <laughs> need. it's the synthesis of like deep, you know, vitamins and all this stuff. Like it needs, it needs the sunlight. It needs UV. Come on. It's a, sun, it's a sun chasing lizard. It's yeah. Like, be- come on, man. So this is what they're designed to do. And if you support them properly, they're going to do what they were intended to do. So, it's definitely i know you're joking but it's definitely not puppy mill it's it's oh no that's yeah you know that's just the argument i get when i'm like uh, but you're not you're not having success if you're keeping it so good but you're not having success then what's your what's your measure and it's not done yet well yeah it's like well how the animal's cuddling with me and i'm like no that's that's that that animal's dying you know the the animal's stressed and it closes its eyes and goes to its happy place uh, but he loves to wear I, this sweater and lay on my chest. Like, 
He doesn't. He really right. doesn't. <laughs> That's where that's why I brought that up. I've been called. Well, you're just after after the puppy. Yeah. I'm like, if I showed you how much I put in, like you were saying, food bill, electricity, yeah. rent for things, and uh, there's and, not a lot of money in it. Like, yeah. with, like you, if you do well, I think that we do pretty well. You know what I'm saying? But I think if you do well, you will make enough to feed everything, wow. buy all the materials to house everything. And it's not cheap, man. Like the light bulbs, yeah. you know, the lumber alone to build an enclosure. My God, the feed bills, the cork, everything is expensive and it's going up. The animals themselves are going up. But if you do well and you get you know steady reproduction out of your stuff, I think that by and large you make enough to support it. That's about yeah, what it boils down to. You make enough to continue it. So yeah, anyone sure. that's like, I'm going to get 12 lizards and turn it into 100 lizards. And then I'm going to keep some of those and I'm going to make 1,000 lizards. And I'm going to become – lizard rich you're a fool okay right, right. It, it, that's just not really how it works you know you might make a little bit of a profit but you know where that profit goes back into it you know it just goes sure back into it. you know i joke yeah. i joke all the time like geez i just sold this animal for x i could put that away or i could buy Ooh, more branches and cork <laughs> i could buy more feeders i could <laughs> borrow my buy more bulbs you know i i think about how i can put it back into this to make right. it better. So yeah, it's a business, so to speak, but it's really about a passion. And if you don't have a passion for it, the business aspect of it, it's not going to work. It's just not. Right. So, you got to yeah, have for it. That's part of what I was, you know, talking about possibly scaling down from a bunch of the, um, well, mainly, mainly the Indonesian stuff. Um, and it's, it's, just you know at the time i thought it was a great idea to get into it my life ran a certain way i was on a certain schedule uh all that's changed i got a new position and the kids were younger too and yeah. now they're doing more active things it's like okay well where am i going to put my time and um you know it's yeah. so, only so many hours in the day man right yeah I'll right. figure it so, out. if i weren't retired there's no way i could do this there's no way yeah there's just no way I, I don't I don't know where I'd find the time, you know. I really just don't I don't know how anyone does, quite frankly. Yeah. For me You're really and, really up in the middle of the night, early day. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, it's getting dark in here, everyone's shutting down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so, you know, I think uh I think that's where I'm headed personally is just to and maybe in the future, you know, of course keeping connections with people that work with some of these animals I wanna I wanna work with. But I'm at the point where, hey, that might be 10 years from now when the kids are kind of out of the house or 10, 12 years from now. Yeah. And then I'll have to pick that back up and pick that passion, that that one that I wanted so bad to work with to figure out, you know, um, I got to make those choices right now and uh, keep a few things. It's almost like I can I can hold on to the ones that I know that I can do a certain way. And that's mainly the Australian stuff because of the temperature swing in the warehouse, the seasons, the way it all hits here. I I've kind of got that figured out where I'm still figuring out the Indonesian stuff and I'm not sure I can make it match up without pu putting a bunch more money into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, okay, time to make some choices. And I, I got all this passion inside, but you know, you got to have more time sometimes, it, you know, yeah. have hours. It, it takes money for sure to, to replicate, you know, good, good husbandry parameters. But for me, 
it's a it's a it's a time suck you know yeah it's it's note taking i take notes like constantly like all my enclosures the glass on one side is just riddled with notes like copulation vitelogenesis ovulation this eggs on these dates this 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 i mean everything's documented whether it be on the glass or in a notepad that takes time though and and if you don't have the time to devote to that it does make it a lot harder to get a good sense of what they want what they need what they respond to and that's when like you said it, it it's a good time to think about all right what do i not only have the you know the ability to do but what do i have the time to do you know right, right. and and everybody makes that decision and that's why i scaled back on my tree monitors you know because i was like well i really want to get into these dwarf monitors but yeah, yeah. i can't i can't have you know 15 pairs of tree monitors and then 20 pairs of dwarf monitors it's just that's a crazy person you know what i'm saying so <laughs> it'd be great but even as a person retired that like i i don't have the time for that i still have other things to do you know what i'm saying right, so right. it's we all gotta we all gotta take stock of like where we're at and, and not just for us but for the animals ourselves sometimes it's like you know what i'm not doing justice for this animal i need to move it on to a better situation sometimes i know i've done that you know, I tried yeah, to hear yeah. the Savannah monitor pair and I was just like, I'm doing terrible. Like I am yeah, yeah. out of my lane. Like, and I, and I moved them on to someone else that would do better. And I, I gave them away. I was like, you know, I paid money for them, but I'm, I'm going to give them away because they're going to go to a good spot. So not always, you know, not always an easy thing to do for, for a lot of folks, but time, time is money and you can't make more of it, you know, especially when you yeah, have yeah. kids, family jobs and all other things, you know, tugging in your, tugging at your, you know, for, for attention. So, Right. This doesn't always got to come in first and it can't. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it's at. So it's, it's over the next couple of weeks, I got some decision making to do and uh, who's going to stay, who's going to go. And um, I'd love to keep them all. I'm fascinated by, like you said, these tree monitors, but I just don't think it's what I can do right now. Now I want them to stay, you know, close to go to somebody I know who's going to do good with them, but uh, give them a little uh, justice. Yeah, yeah, but uh, except for the blues, the blues have to stay. Um, those are the one Indonesian monitors that'll stay as the blue trees. Um, mm. But we're talking like the blue tails, even which I recently actually just got into. Yeah, they're those, growing great. Those are beautiful. They're pu- yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I got some killer animals, but uh, um, yeah, just thinking about time, money. Um, down the line, those are uh, those are crazy four foot lizards. You know, they're not like that. <laughs> they're impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're not. Uh, they're too much beast for me. I've, I've like, seen the bite they can put on someone too. Uh, yeah, there's some serious animals. YouTube has a video of Dave Durham. He's got he he got chomped on one, and I gotta tell you, that bite scared the hell out of me. It was oh like, yeah. Oh man, it was like putting your that, hand in a blender. I felt so bad for Dave. I was like, "My God, buddy!" That was a big animal too. Was that that was a big, big yeah. one? Right? These things eat mollusks, crabs, yeah. you know, like solid shells. Like if they can crunch through that, the soft, you know, fleshy skin on your hand is no match. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, even those need- welder gloves. I felt some teeth yeah. through those like thick uh, falconry type of gloves. <laughs> yeah. I was like, woo. Yeah. And they're not full grown yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't mess with croc monitors because I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it's just out of my I only league. got ten fingers. I'm not coming up with more. So 
I know they can right. be awesome and, and whatnot, but I just they're just it's too damn big for me, man. I don't have the space, you know? Yeah. I don't have the space to do it right. I don't wanna I don't wanna cram it into one of my tree monitor or dwarf enclosures and that's not fair, you know. Right. Yeah, you know Yeah. I guess I'll leave it at that rather than going through all my life stuff at the moment. But uh, yeah. And you know, like even trying to get on to record a podcast and I, I feel like I'm doing a disservice sometimes, but it's like, life is just, you know, this, that, this, that, and I don't have enough mental capacity to even keep all the dates I'm supposed to remember in my head. Like what's going yeah. on? Like you, you were joking. So I don't forget to ship off this animal. I'm like, yeah, oh. I've, I've been there. <laughs> I just, hey. this week, just this week, man, I, I forgot two different days on this one guy. I was like, my yeah. grandpa, I'm sorry. I sent him two instead of one because I felt bad. I was like, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. yeah. Here's two. He's like, I didn't ask for two. I'm like, I don't care. I felt bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, don't uh, think I'm a piece of shit because I forgot. I'm just human. You know? Right. So. All right, guys. We're about almost two hours. Um, yeah, we got in some good stuff. It was fun just actually sitting down and talking monitors. I haven't felt like I've done that with people in a while so not even yeah. you kai you know we're yeah, like hey what are you doing, busy, doing lady, this man. <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks for having me on guys no it's been hey, great man. Fun, man yeah again. um again <laughs> I, I wish we could go over the stuff we went in that first episode with all the secrets to everything but you know that was a one of a lifetime uh episode we did we lost it sorry to all the listeners out there I'm just messing with it. <laughs> it's all the life. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> the tribute what was that the uh, Jack Black song, the uh, tribute to the uh, what is the best rock and roll song ever? This isn't that song, this is the tribute to that song, but we can't remember it. Yeah, if you want to know what was said, just send Kai messages, he'll answer yeah, every, yeah. One hey, yeah, every, every single message. one of them. <laughs> every one of them will get a prompt reply. <laughs> hey, uh, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, so I got a website, uh, reptilerevolt.com. Instagram is reptile underscore revolt. Uh, and then Facebook page is reptile revolt, of course. So uh, don't do a lot of shows these days, but we ship worldwide, mostly worldwide. Uh, most tree monitors go to uh, the EU and Japan. Starting, I think, probably maybe this year, maybe next year, I'll do domestically instead because it's it's really a pain in the ass, quite frankly. But it's it's pros and cons that come with it. Um, other than that, we you know we ship worldwide most of the year. We do ship. Uh, it is Maine, so it gets a little cold, so we don't ship some months when it's just too. It's it's not safe. But uh, yeah, you can find us on our website, Reptile Revolt, Facebook, Reptile Revolt, or Reptile underscore Revolt on Instagram. Good stuff. Kai? I, and uh, for the listeners, Kai's wearing, rocking the uh, Mangrove Mecca shirt on here. You can't see him, but we can. But uh, he where can people find him? Yeah. Uh, we convinced him to put his shirt on. I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, – yeah, I wear my shirts like all the time. It's like, all right, this is a clean shirt. I'm just going to throw it on. <laughs> um, yeah, you can uh, find – you can mostly find me on Facebook. I'm under just Kai Fan. I, I'm most responsive there. Um, and then also there, I have a mangrove mecca page now. Um, it's mangrove and uh, space M E C C A. Um, you can also find me on Instagram under big underscore lizard one Oh three. Uh, I mean, you can find me on the, 
on YouTube as well under Mangrove Mecca. There's there's quite a place, a few places you can find me. And then most importantly, you can find me underneath the Morelia Python Network. So, you know, where where we do this podcast for you guys and, and everything like that. Um, but most responsive on Facebook. So if you want to get a quicker answer from me, then that that'd be the place to hit me up. And what about you, man? Right, you can find me at uh, Origins Reptile on Facebook or Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram. Um, again, like Kai mentioned, you can find our podcast and all the other podcasts at Morelia Python Radio Network. Um, go onto their website and check it out. There's a ton of different podcasts. I can't even keep up with them all. I feel bad because these guys are putting out some great information. And uh, guys, I've I've looked up to over the years, and uh, now there's just so much information out there and good information coming from good people um and you'll you'll find a lot of crossover people too so we might have a guest on that we're talking lizards but they keep uh something else and uh you know they're just good guys to listen to um eric just has done a fantastic job um talking about being busy you know keeping a collection uh he has a few monitors now and um and all his snakes and then uh somehow balancing a regular job as a manager and then all these podcasts, I, I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. I, <laughs> That's you need uh, He's found a way to find more time of the day than everybody. Else. Yeah. Yeah. Some wizardry going on over yeah. there that, uh, I think, you know, they joke about him being a hobbit. Maybe he has the ring. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, Check out the Morelli Python Radio uh, uh, website and get involved. Uh, help support these guys in any way you can. Um, other reptile keepers that are trying to progress uh, species, ha- uh, husbandry information, uh, you know, tap in and, and support these guys. Support uh, each other so that we can do the best by our animals and the best for each other. So on that note, thanks, guys. and thanks so much. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Have a great weekend.